Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Runner's World podcast with me, Rick Pearson, and he, Ben Hobson. Each Tuesday, we're bringing you all the latest news, views and interviews from across the running world. Ben, what have we got coming up on this week's show? Ah, It's a great one this week. We're talking to David and Nicole Miller ahead of this year's New York Marathon, which will see David run his first marathon in support of their good friends, Maria and Robbie. If the name David Miller sounds familiar, it's because it belongs to the ex-pro cyclist, David Miller. But thankfully, Nicole is joining us too, who is the genuine runner of the family, I believe. Uh, who? Uh, so this doesn't just become a chat about bikes, right? Well, I'm glad, Ben. I've got to be honest, I was a bit worried it's going to become a kind of bike chat. So <laughs> glad Nicole's here. Well, I was delighted, Ben, to receive a tweet from Amanda Wilmer, who said of the last podcast, great episode, but was waiting for a world record jingle, to be honest. Oh, God. A fan? I wasn't a plant either. She did that of her <laughs> oh, She's actually my friend. <laughs> oh, hi. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good, good. So definitely wasn't my mum or anything like that. No. It was just like a, a genuine commission, I think. And, uh, <laughs> I, you have to wait no longer, Amanda, because I've written it. It's called 159. And it is, of course, a dedication to the recent sub-2 marathon run by Elliot Kipchoge. Ben hasn't heard it before, but is going to join in on backing vocals when he can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so watch out for that special moment. <laughs> 159, So that was the Elliot Kipchoge 159 jingle. Ben, thanks so much for your uh, backing. I couldn't have done it without you. Less is more. Yeah. I actually think it's 4% better than my other jingles. Oh, very good. Well, going by this, going by the last actual attempt, should be 7 to 8% better. Uh, Yeah. Right. To build on the success of the marathon yep. uh, jingle, yes. I, I've got a quiz for you. Okay? Great. It's called Quicker or Slower. Let's do it. Quicker or Slower. Question number one. What takes longer? The time it takes Eliud Kipchoge, or Eliud Eliud Kipchoge to give him his full name, <laughs> to run a marathon, or the time it takes to roast a 2.5 kilogram chicken in the oven? Uh, chicken is slower. Chicken is slower. We all, 159, um, as the song goes, for Elliot, and 205 uh, for a chicken, two hours, five minutes. Yeah. So very, very good. Um, which is higher, the amount of years for which Paul Oracle's previous marathon world record stood, or the age at which you're allowed to drive a car in the UK? Uh, the record was 16 years, so it's 17 to drive a car. <laughs> good. Yes, maths. <laughs> very good. Uh, question three. Doing well so far. Two out of two. 
Which is quicker, Ben Hobson's marathon finishing time at London 2018 <laughs> or the over 85 male marathon world record? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that the marathon, the world, the 85-year-old marathon record is by far faster than my, my attempt. Well, the eight, over 85 is 3.56.38. Oh, my God. So. He destroyed me. So he's, he's got time to... <laughs> I've got go, time to, to go back time I've to got, I've got time to get better, most importantly. <laughs> you've, got, you've got a lot of time to get better. Uh, what's bigger, the amount of people who applied for the London Marathon 2020 or the official population of the Mediterranean island of Malta? Applications to the London Marathon. Malta. Damn it! But it's very close, oh. right? So there's 457,861 applications for London and the island of Malta is 460,000. Wow. Yeah, so... Close, though. Maybe they could do a special one-off Malta-only <laughs> yeah. year. Malta marathon could be massive. Yeah. Final question for you. Okay, good. So I think you've got you've got four out of five. So okay. I've got three out of four so far. Okay. Um, what's quicker, the female 10,000 metre world record or the average time it takes to mow the lawn, according to statistics from the Lawn Institute? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank God I've been reading all the press releases from the Lawn Institute recently. Um I'm going to say that the 10,000 metre record is faster. Very good. Yes. 29 minutes, 17 uh, seconds uh, by Almaz Ayana of Ethiopia. Yes. And the average time it takes to mow lawn, 30 minutes. That makes sense. Thanks so much for playing. Thank God that's over. <laughs> Guest of the week. Here in the studio. Guest of the week. Sometimes on the phone. Could be an athlete. Could be a physio. Or a complete Great. Well, David and Nicole, welcome to the Runners World podcast. Thank you for having us. Uh, now, your your journey to New York has has many layers to it. So I think before we, we sort of dive into that, we should just talk about running. Uh, and Nicole, as you're the seasoned runner in, in, <laughs> in the know. Miller household, I thought it would uh, it'd be best to, to sort of start with you and, and how you got into your running. Uh, well, that's very kind of you to say that. But um, I suppose... I really think of my running as two halves because I, I used to do a few triathlons and with that you have to run. And then, um, gosh, it's a long time ago, about 12 years ago, I got an injury and I just didn't run for nine years. So, and actually I thought it could never be repaired. It was just a problem in the knee that wouldn't let me run more than about a few metres. And then an osteo fixed it about three years ago, simply. Apparently it was a problem with my ankle. And he said, go running. So three years ago, I started running again and really, really enjoyed being back um, on the trails and just being really free. I don't run on the road. So, um, yeah, and I just like setting myself challenges. And um, a few of those have been running challenges. So that's how I've got into it, really. That's fantastic. I mean, I, I need to get the, the contact details of this osteo off you then because my, knees are, my yeah. knees are done. So if you can sort that out for uh, me, that'd be perfect. You. What about you, David? It's not often that uh, a cyclist, I guess, takes up running. I think of them as quite being quite a part in, in that sense. Um, when did you, you know, decide to, to throw yourself into to marathon training? When I stopped racing, my final year of racing as a professional um, was 2014. And coming out of that, uh, and I think it happens to, to many uh, professional cyclists, probably many professional athletes, actually, you don't really want to do the sport that you've, you've done for many years. It's part of the reason you stop in the end is because you're just burnt out. And so I wanted to, to find something that could just keep me quite fit and be quite simple. And, and running seemed like such a, uh, a bang for your buck sport in that it was the, the antithesis to cycling in the sense that it didn't need all that equipment. And I travel a lot so I could do it anywhere. 
And so I, I kind of came into it thinking I'd do a marathon that year and then didn't and didn't really even run that much. I'd run a little bit just as a bare minimum for health and fitness. And then the next year, the same, 20, so 2015, 2016, then 2017, much the same. It wasn't really developing. Uh, if anything, it was actually starting to, to kind of decrease a bit. So I was starting to ride my bike a bit more. And then I did a, a, a couple of trail runs, enjoyed them, but still it just kind of sat there in the background. And then it was simply by, uh, I suppose, one of the positives of social media was that I came across my old friend, Robbie Ketchell, a picture of him finishing the New York Marathon last year. And he was carrying his son across the finish line, Wyatt. Wyatt was about six months old at the time. And Wyatt had been born with Down syndrome. And so Robbie um, had uh, run the New York Marathon with the ambition of running it to under three hours, 21 minutes, because that represented the three copies of the 21st chromosome, which is the, the cause of Down syndrome. He did manage to do it. He ended up, it was, he obviously hadn't been able to train much in the previous six months with all the, the intensity and drama of, of life with Wyatt in and out of hospital, etc. And so I saw this on social media and I thought, oh, you know what? And I sent him a message immediately. He said, Robbie, I'll do it with you next year and we'll both break 321. And, and that was it. And it was the kind of, it was the purpose and objective I, I needed. Now, just to put that a bit of context, Robbie Ketchell had been my sports scientist um, back in the day. He's American uh, with Team Garmin. And so he'd been the guy who'd done all my aerodynamic testing, helped design a lot of my equipment, even training at times. He'd been a bit of a wingman for me in some of my final years, my, you know, some of my best performances. And, and so we'd had a very strong relationship. And the woman he married, Mariah, uh, had also worked for our team. She was our head of media and PR, and I'd known her back since 2008. So there are a couple that I, I knew, I know very well, but like all things, we'd fallen slightly out of touch over the years. So it's a great opportunity to to rekindle that relationship. And it's it's been a pretty amazing experience, actually, because it took something like that to spur me on to actually do this. It was um it was a it was a very poignant image actually I think that and, it, and it, as you say social media for its pluses it, it it went viral I think to a degree and then it was a nice uh it sort of encapsulated why people run and why they take on these big challenges and I mean aside from you know everything else that was going on how did you two feel as sort of suddenly seeing a picture of the, this friend of yours sort of running with their with their son at the end of a marathon is was it must have been quite an emotional thing. Yeah, hugely emotional. We've got three children that didn't have immediate problems. I mean, Wyatt was in the ICU for six, seven, the first six, seven days of his life, wasn't he? 60 days, yeah. So, yeah, 67, I think. And um, he's had open heart surgery and stuff. So when you see a friend who's had to go through that and um, you know what it's like to be a parent, it's, yeah, it's hugely emotional. I think, and it was what was, and as you said, it's, it's put a whole different perspective on it. And I don't suppose having come from a professional racing background where it's a, it's a very egotistical, um, I suppose, drive you have um, more often than not, sadly. And so I, I don't think I'd, I'd really had, I didn't really have that kind of perspective of why people would do these big challenges for, for these other reasons, which sounds completely mad, but it was true. And so when I kind of bought into this, I suddenly, it's, it meant I couldn't miss a day training, and it had it gave me more purpose than I had to do it for myself. Was really I couldn't let Robbie and Mariah down, and and I think that was one of the reasons. And I think I can now understand why a lot of people do that. And it's it's so much more empowering to do it for for charity for a cause. And I, I think especially for me, where I am in my life after the things I've done, 
I think it's not something I could have self-motivated for, uh, not in the hope. So it's been a, a wonderful uh, a gift they've given me in many ways as well. And I, 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 it's, it's, I feel like I've got a lot to repay them. As far as the, tra- the training, is it something you guys can do together? Cause I think it's interesting when couples train for, for marathons or, or share a love of running. And I, I know it can work really well for some couples or it, or it can have its challenges as well. I'm wondering <laughs> if, it, if it's something that you guys have, have kind of explored together. Uh, <laughs> I um, David's got... Um, so David had a few problems uh, transferring from the bike to running and he's worked really hard at having to change his technique and get his bodies to the impact. Um which I'm really proud of him for. And I, <laughs> to start with, yeah, we could run really well together. Um, unfortunately, I'm massively competitive. So it was really nice that um, I was a bit stronger than he was. <laughs> but now David's got really, really fast and it really annoys me. <laughs> oh, that's a classic it's, tale. Like. It's, it's all in yeah. jest. Deep down, I'm really proud of him, but he's really, really quick now. And it's just so <laughs> Basically, Nicole loves running with me when she's Handing my ass, handing my ass. It's just like I kind of was just always just slightly behind her. Now, if I go two paces in front, it's all over. But it I'm like that of... with my swim run partner too. They have to breathe down my neck, <laughs> and then I'm okay. So yeah, so to answer your question, <laughs> it's um, it's not something we do so much. No, we do. I think I think when the marathon's over, because um, in my eyes, David's turned into a pro athlete again. He's really gone, as he was explaining, f- full gas into this, and it's been really good to watch. Um, but I think when the objectives finished and we've entered, entered ourselves in a few trail runs, haven't we, this winter, and we could probably go and hit the trails together and explore. And I've got some nice hills I want to show him and stuff. But um, it's definitely, I think we'd have more fun running together than being on the bike. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's, it is. I mean, that's part of the, the joy of this is, is something we can do together. Uh, obviously not at the moment because I'm on this whole bloody kind of performance kick drive thing as Nicole said just just flash back into all behaviors but um but it's I, I do running is so um egalitarian it's when I'm in one of my biggest takeaways from this whole kind of year of getting into running has been that fact cycling is very cliquey and it's got this kind of hierarchy as well and and it's all it's almost anti-social all the time and it's, it's quite weird but um, running, when I'm in London, I do a lot of work in London, especially during the summer for TV stuff. And I go down to the Saturday park runs and I'm just blown away by the community, by the kind of just the, the inclusiveness of it all. And the, there's no hierarchy to it. There's no kind of, um, although it's kind of, it's everybody's treating it as their own little internal competition. There's no externalization of that. And I, I found, found that very kind of surprising and I kind of suddenly see that so there's a gaping hole in the cycling world for that. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's I think that's partly why a lot of cyclists that I know are quite surprised when they take running on as a sort of as a pastime and how the pastime suddenly becomes the main focus because it's that it has that separate social element to it which is kind of missing somewhat. It's something that also as I said Nicole and I can do together and especially as the, the trail running aspect is pretty magical because yeah. big here. It's huge here around yeah. where we live. And even where we live, where we're talking from now, from our house, we've just got trails out from everywhere. And and that's an amazing thing because I've done some trail runs around here and Nicole does them regularly. It's like having cross countries or if you go up to the north of England, the fell running. Um, but it's, again... It's so much more technical though. Super I was technical, thinking, yeah. yeah. I was thinking, it's how do I describe it? It is like cross country in the UK, I'd say, but much more technical. 
Yeah, and it's and it's it's so awesome because when you when you're out there doing it again, you kind of forget that the, there isn't any sense of of uh, well, for me, I'm talking for me now, not for the person sitting next to me. Uh, <laughs> sense of kind of <laughs> chasing a place because a lot of these runs they just feel like proper adventures. Yeah, you're kind of you're just going out there, and it's you you can there's a twenty k one. I'm looking from where I'm sitting, the top of the mountain, Rock Corba which is a thousand meter summit and they do a race up to the top, then back down again. It's 19 Ks and it's so much fun. I finished it. I did it a couple of years ago, ago. three years ago. And I was horribly unfit and I came, got to the finish line and I was, I was dead and I just had so much fun. And you kind of, you forget about the fatigues. It's it's properly, you're out there kind of on this deep adventure with yourself lost in the woods by the end of it, just running down this mountain, falling over, almost breaking a finger. And it was just like being a kid again. Um, you, you saw the fun of it and the fun of the training and, and all of those sorts of things. I think it'd be quite interesting. How does it, how does training for this marathon compare for when, how you prepared for a grand tour? You talked about sort of falling into old training habits, but is it, is it similar in the fact that you're building up to a race point or has it been totally sort of different to how you've adapted? Uh, yeah, it's been quite similar in the sense that it's been the, the kind of the steady overload over the past year. I mean, a lot of it was hindered at the beginning because I couldn't keep on a steady program because I kept getting injured. Um, and then after about three or four months, then managed to solve the injury issues and then got on a steady progression. What surprised me is that the training is quite different, so much of it is steady state. Um, and I guess because the event itself is essentially a time trial, it's not with, with road racing, it kind of makes me appreciate what we would do training wise, because we would be working all our different energy systems all the time. So we'd be doing anaerobic stuff. We'd be doing power aerobic. We'd be doing fat burning. We'd be doing all out like 10, 15 seconds sprints. And these are all energy systems that we had to train constantly. And whereas with running, it seems to be it's probably about two energy systems we seem to operate on, kind of aerobic and fat burning, kind of there a little bit, it's aerobic and a little bit of anaerobic. And that's, I find that a bit weird, um, almost a little bit monotonous because I quite enjoy, I actually quite enjoy it when we put the speed training in, which I've asked for a bit more because I find it helps me with the technique, etc. But it's also because of the very nature of running, we can't do nearly as big a load as we do cycling because cycling is a non-impact sport. You could just do such huge volumes um, and your body could keep bouncing back from it. Running's, I mean, the word I use over and over again, it's just brutal. It just kind of just bashes your body all the time. And it's, and I've had to do so much core training. I mean, Nicole laughs at me because when I was a professional athlete, I didn't really stretch or do core training. <laughs> it's all he does now. I know. Look, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. <laughs> he looks ridiculous. <laughs> I, I'm interested, David. I mean, it sounds like you've thrown yourself into this, you know, and um, Nicole was very competitive as well. But how fast have you, have you got or do you think you might be in New York? I'm running at three hour pace, uh, so four fifteen. Um, that's I'm just setting that as the kind of the metronome and see how that goes. I've never ridden run over thirty k's yet, so I'm kind of just gonna keep that. I should be able to to do that. Yeah, it's just two more park runs. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Two and a half, maybe. But we hear New York's quite hilly once you get into Central Park. Yeah, it's not a quick marathon, but. Um... 
you know, you're used to the, you guys are used to the hills yeah. where you are, you'll be fine. The bridges are quite, <laughs> yeah, cool, actually. Yeah, I, say, I like yeah. the hills, but a pace changing. Yeah. I say all this now, it's going to be an absolute horror. I've had a horrible last two weeks. I've been slightly <laughs> sick and just tired and I never slept so much in my whole life. It's all, it's all falling to pieces the final three weeks. Oh no, weeks. it sounds like you're tapering so, perfectly. That's how you're meant, that's how you're meant to feel. You're meant to be incredibly paranoid, very uncomfortable. <laughs> thinking everything's gone wrong and then you'll have a great race that's perfect tapering is like that i get all i think i'm getting injured all the time when you start tapering yeah, there's a term called maranoia, which I've heard, which is which sounds like you may... Oh, I'm, deep, I'm deep in maranoia now. It's horrible. It's kind of, it's just taken over my whole life. I'm looking forward to, well, it's one week today when it's over, when I'll have my life back again. Oh, you'll feel so good. <laughs> um, you, you're actually raising money because you're doing it all for, for this charity. It's for Lumind, is that right? Lumind, yes. They're a charity that... Um, Developed a lot of the science independently for to help Down syndrome sufferers. Um, they do a lot of amazing work, and so that's and they also have uh, they do a lot of support work as well for families with Down syndrome children. So it's uh, and it's a charity that helps uh, Robbie and Mariah with Wyatt. And so yeah, so we're raising money for them, and I think we're close to ten thousand US now. We hope to get it over twenty thousand uh, by the race day because uh, we're auctioning a few items this week, which are pretty special. And uh, so, yeah, so no, it's, it's gone quite well, the, the money raising so far. And do you think once New York's over, do you, do you guys see yourselves running into your, into your old age? Do you think you're, you're both kind of lifelong runners now? I hope so. I love it. I really, really enjoy it. I think out of, I do a lot of different sports, but um, it's the one I'm most comfortable. On. Well, I say that, I went for a bike ride. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um yeah, I hope so. I think it's a big impact sport, though. I think you'd have to be quite, I don't know, you guys would probably know better. You'd probably have to be quite careful to keep going on I and just on. Just get slower. <laughs> like this, maybe. It's yeah, it's just like Reduce life. it to a walk. Yeah, you just end up being hikers, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> just going rambling. Uh, yeah, I think no, so. Yeah, no, I, I will. I mean, it's definitely for me, especially with the life I lead, all, all the travelling, etc. I I like running for the sake that it, it is so easy to do wherever I am. And it's that lovely amount of time just to get out and get some headspace and and sort of get some of your own time wherever you are. I So yeah, and I think with Nicole and I, it's a great thing that we can do together, especially where we live and the very nature of the sport here. It's not like going for a run down a canal. It's, it's going out, kind of going out, designating these different sort of places we can go to on these sort of adventure runs, which I think will be loads of fun. Um, thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. It's great to hear from you and uh, all the best for New York. I'm sure that you all have a fabulous race. Um, you can't help but enjoy that course. It's, it's the, the crowds are phenomenal, so you will have a, a great day out, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank thanks you. a lot. Thanks. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We're talking tech, talking tech with Kieran Naga. Talking tech. He's an awesome ultra runner. Talking tech. Talking tech. He's very charming. Talking tech. Knows his polar from his garmin. Talking tech. Welcoming. What's welcoming? That's not a word. Welcoming. <laughs> Welcoming. Welcoming to the studio. <laughs> Kieran Alga, welcome to the studio. Hello, thanks for having me in again. Great to have you in. What have you been doing? You've got your tech radar out there, you're, you're there. It's, it's Tell been, us what's happening. It's been beeping and it's been buzzing going <laughs> off all over the place. And uh, this month, I've kind of been I've been pondering the role of tech oh, in wow. running. Oh, God, this sounds very... It's very serious. Philosophical, for it sounds. For me, very... it's been <laughs> yeah, an existential <laughs> debate has been happening. In my... No, there's been a few things, you know, over the, over the last month that have really sort of flagged up a, a, this is a talking point and one of them that I wanted to talk about was uh, was Canadian runner Trevor Hoffbauer who recently uh, won the Canadian Marathon Championships yeah. and put in what was a seven minute PB and a staggering time and was really unexpected and one of the reports that was picked up at the end was uh, was Trevor mentioned that he ran the race without a watch and I thought this is crazy this can't it's be. Worth... It can't be possible. How you can't run a PB without a watch. Whatever <laughs> next, no shoes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, so I thought this is this is a fascinating flip. You know, technology is obviously playing an increasing role in in running, particularly at the amateur level. But how did he do it? You know, what difference did it make? And so I actually got on the phone with Trevor and had a chat to try and find out some more information about mm. how he found fa- he found this in in training. Um, and the interesting thing that it, that. Digging a little bit deeper than that headline, which is you can run a PB without a watch, everybody stopped wearing the garments and the polars, was that Trevor was actually paced to halfway. Right. So he had a little bit of help along the way. Mm. After halfway, he was he was on his own. Um, but really what he did, the way he applied this, is in his training in the build-up to this, about 18 months ago, he ditched the watch entirely in terms of looking at it mid-session. Right. But crucially, he still wore a watch. So... I'm going to row back a little bit because actually what he did was quite clever. And I think this is a way that a lot of people would benefit. He did a sort of hybrid version where you you trained with a watch but didn't look at it. And then afterwards you looked at your data. And what he did over 18 months really with a with a, the way that he structured his training and his approach to, to data was to really teach himself to run on feel. Yeah. And we all know that that's quite an important thing. And one of the negatives of constantly being on your watch is that maybe you get too reliant. You don't start to understand your body. Mm. So how does that play out in practice? So Trevor sort of mentioned that one of the workouts that he did, you know, to run off feel, he would do a 20-minute 
uh, at cruise tempo, so slower than marathon pace, and 30 minutes at marathon pace, and then 20 minutes faster than marathon pace. And that was one of the workouts that he went to quite regularly in the first section of his training. Mm. And just getting used to that feeling of running at those different different tempos. And that translated, he said, onto race day where he he could then feel very, very... Well, he could recognise within himself when he needed to hit those, those different paces. Rick is a big advocate of the no-watch run. Well, I am. Uh, I think part of it for me is coming from being a little bit of a Luddite, actually. Where, But I have definitely noticed that all the PBs I've run have been without a watch. And I think, actually, if you run without a watch a lot, you can... You can, you know, if you if you're trying to get say, three fifty eight for a marathon, if you, you can you can actually dial into that pace much easier than you might think. And actually, no. I think actually our intuition to how hard we're trying is really is really quite accurate. I think that there's a whole thing to be said about um, ba- barriers that you put on yourself, possibly subconsciously, but barriers that you 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 take as you can't go faster than for sure. Because you've looked at a watch and your watch has told you that that is your threshold. Mm. Well, this is a, this is another really interesting point that Trevor made was that he actually went out into that race and broke it down into three goals. And I know a lot of people talk about this. You have the ABC yeah. sort of strategy, but his A goal was unachievable, something that was going to be all out there. He had a B goal that was realistic and then his C goal was guaranteed. Mm. But without the watch, he was able to, to push for that kind of unachievable A goal mm. more readily. And I think, you know, another thing I know from my running I would, I wouldn't. So I've naturally kind of settled into like a seven, seven fifteen minute pace as my comfortable pace. That's my kind of, you know, st- sort of steady pace. Yeah. And your body does after a time get to sense that. Mm. And without looking at the watch, you can drop down to it. So I, I think there's definitely something in in getting to that point where you've got that sort of natural default without the tech. Has it inspired you, Kieran, at all to to sort of ditch the watch from or... three watches to none? <laughs> <laughs> well, I might take off one or two, but you know, actually, one thing I spoke to I spoke to a very own sort of Tom Craggs as well, and I said to him, "Well, how does that work out on if you're doing an interval session? Because on if I'm on the track, you know, I'm always running to splits. I've got to do that 400 in a certain time." Yeah. And he he said actually he often uses you know he often encourages his his. Uh, people to to go out and run without that and look at things like your breathing rate uh, after each segment to say how you feel and score that and work on things that are not watch based because actually what you're doing is you know your aim when you go out for these sessions is not to hit a split but it's actually to improve your fitness Hmm. so I'm yeah, I mean, I'm really interested. I mean, I, I definitely want that kind of naked running mode and then I'm then I'm sold. So I can have my data in the background and I can go and look at it. But I think there's a lot to be said for just going out and seeing what you can get. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a, that's a nice middle ground, isn't it? It's not like everyone throw away your watches and you're going to knock off seven minutes from your PB. But to be able to run without a watch and dial into how you're feeling, great advice, I think. There's another connection here as well with Trevor and it moves me on to the next point. Which is, you know, it's another another big piece of technology that's been affecting our running, and that uh, uh, those Nike shoes. Trevor wore those shoes. Did he? Not, yeah. He obviously not not Kipchoge shoes, but he wore the next <laughs> percent. Got more yeah. than one pair. Um, <laughs> he sent them over. Um, but and we've seen, you know, we're seeing records go now. Mm. A lot of records yeah. go, and there's some really interesting ones. So, um, Koskai, uh, Camille Heron uh, yesterday broke the 24 hour yeah um, ultra record on the track. Miles. Yeah. In, and wore next percent, which is a shoe that if if you've run in them, normal runners, I think you would be a bit worried about how they're going to stack up yeah. over that, that mm. amount of time. But um, you've obviously got uh, Wormsley breaking the 100k record as well in the Hoka Carbon X. So mm. shoes and the role of technology. I, I've got a take on this, which is basically that we 
I think we have to embrace the technology, oh, bring it in and allow it. For sure. But I think there's a gauntlet that needs to be laid down to some of the companies that this is made f- sort of available to all. There's an obligation, I think, to Nike, to Addy, to all the other brands, if you're going to make shoes, to make them at a price that everyone can afford, yeah. that they're not restricted by kind of a cer- certain athletes able to have them or whatever. Otherwise, we're going to have the debate of this is an unfair. It should be a, f- a free-for-all. Other- I mean, yeah. a lot of sports have adopted technology very heavily along the way. You know, you look at F1 f- football boots today are nothing compared to what I used to play in 20 yeah. years ago. So there's a role that it has to play in my view. But do you think that it's, again, this was, this, 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 it, maybe it all boils down to, to basically companies being smart about their product. So Nike next percent are 250 quid, 240 pounds. Whereas the, 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 the Project X, the Hokers are what, 130? Yeah. So immediately, Hoka have been, they've got technology that isn't perhaps quite as high end as the next percent, but similarly, you're, it's a carbon loaded shoe, which will help your performance and it is a hundred pounds cheaper. Yeah. So that straight away is like, well, that's smart. Yeah. Let's, let's have yeah. the technology. Let's, let's embrace it, but let's democratize it. Yeah. Let's make it available for, for those who need it. And then particularly at the top level, I think, you know, for, for amateurs, it's you racing against you mainly, right? Mm. Yep. But at that top level, you don't want people turning up to race marathons in, in shoes that other people can't possibly wear. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I wonder if there's an interesting, um, again, a middle ground with this where you could say people can train in whatever shoe they want. So I think this was this is put forward by Andy Burford, this, this idea, and he said people can train whatever they want, but professionals on race day, actually, should we say that springs in shoes actually aren't allowed? Because I think the idea of putting a spring in a shoe for me feels like a fundamentally different step to like something that's like you know to a foam. This feels like in some ways a kind of foreign object that's entering a midsole that's giving you a kind of spring. Is there an argument to say actually that there, there, there isn't a place for that in professional but racing? What, so at what point then is it is it going to be like uh, it, there has to be the density of the foam because you're going to get like this is when the nerdy bits come and go. Oh well, that EVA can only be of this density and you can only have you know, uh, a, f- a, f- a maximum of like four mil of it and or the lining must be, do you know what I mean? Because then you're going to have to have a standardised... Yeah, for me, I think that the the introduction of a plate or springs is um, is fundamentally different different to having to, to foam. I think you, well, you can use whatever foam you want, but the minute a, a plate gets involved, you could say that's actually in shoes, that's that's not allowed for competition racing. Interesting. So I'm just giving you devil's advocate. No, I agree with you. Good. I agree with you. That it's kind of progress in some ways, right? There's... Well, yeah, it's, that's it. I would, I would go the other way and just be like, well, until we said this before, until the IWF change their ruling on what is a, like legally allowed in competition, and they they actually like put a stamp on it, this is all just progression, and I think then it's all fair game, and it's mm, not okay. down to. Yeah, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and they've they've actually you know they made a statement about this the IAAF and they mm. they said that the challenge for the IAAF is to find the right balance in the technical rules between encouraging the development and use of new technologies in athletics and the preservation of the fundamental characteristics of the sport, which are accessibility, universality, and fairness. And that is a big challenge for them. God, right? yeah. And I mean, you can think about all other. There's so many other sports wrestle with this as well. And mm. one of the, the the most sort of similar that I think about is sort of F1 and. You know, there's people getting in different cars and it's quite, not quite an even playing field and how they manage it. And you wouldn't want to get it to, to that point. You want it to be about what the human can do, I think, still. Yeah. Um, 
but I'm not. I'm not sure. I see Springs as sort of pushing over that. Barrier yeah, yet, no. I but... think I think there is. There's not necessarily a right answer to this. One of the, the um, other angles of this, we we think about say the the vaporfy the four percent as being about speed, but um, the, I think there's some anecdotal evidence to say that people feel a bit less beaten up running in these shoes or afterwards. So the idea that they actually might be less injured well, that running was, in a shoe. I mean, that was really like certainly this is that was all the 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 hype around the shoe initially was never that the, the never that the carbon plate was there for propulsion even though that's obviously what it's going to do but it was actually more about reducing fatigue in the latter stages of a marathon mm. because of the way that it was shaped and the way that it was actually allowing for less certainly lower leg it was all to do with calf yeah. muscles and, and those muscles and how that they behaved and, and fatigue and posture and that's the, the carbon plate was there to sort of yeah. and obviously we put three of them in a shoe <laughs> <laughs> or however many they're in the, in, in the alpha knit yeah. or whatever it's called but do, yeah. do, do you know what I mean though we, we think about we think the vapor line we think of names like Kipchoge we think about speed but actually what we said the Vaporfly's big thing for, for the everyman is for people who are very injury prone in injury prone you could wear these and instead of being injured, you could run. And actually, that's a great thing, isn't it? That makes running more like accessible yeah. and widespread. So they might have a role to play in at the kind of slower end of running as well. Yeah. Yeah. Get the shoes to as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. Get the tech to. And I think it's less of an argument. But and I, I you know, actually move. We, we looked at some of the other things that Kipchoge used in that. And this has got me thinking about, uh, you know, beyond and we talked a couple of um, episodes ago about a set of glasses called the Form Swim glasses. Right. That through augmented reality overlaid stats up onto your onto your vision as you swam. Right. And I saw, you know, the the green lasers being projected down onto the road. I saw them, you know, they taped the entire the entire line so that you could run run the route in the in the shortest possible way. And I thought this would be perfect if you could have those glasses for running. Finally, yeah. I might put on a pair of running sunglasses, <laughs> and if it could if it could project in front of me, yeah, the pace that I need to be at, so it's not interfering with anyone else. It would show me where that blue line is, so I could run it. Oh my god! And it might layer me up stats. But the chaos Great around idea. a blue yeah. line. <laughs> if everyone's got those glasses on, and it's like New York's coming up, they paint a blue line, and everyone's trying to get that blue line, and there'd just be like a long queue. You just have to get to, as close to the blue line as possible. Just go out, go out early and fast. Right? No, I think a projected like all of that sort of stuff. But you could have it. a projected pace line, couldn't you? Like you know, like he had with in, just in, are you are you in front of that green line? And then I thought about another thing, which is wouldn't involve <laughs> racing, and that was that I could be Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, great! So we can go and collect coins running around <laughs> interval sessions. Forget this is this will teach you how to run on feel. It sounds like Pokemon. Mm. <laughs> you know, it was basically Pokemon for runners. Mm. But imagine, you know, teachers run on field. Wouldn't have to wear my watch anymore. I'm just running quick enough to get That's the col- the coin in the, when it's the right colour or, you know, when that thing pops up in front of you. Gamification of running soon. Yeah. You, you, wow. you, we kind of laugh, don't we? But actually, I'm sure that's, oh, that's in the post, isn't it? That'd be sure. massive as well. That would make targets so easy to achieve if you just had a projected, I've got to get to that point in this moment. All right, well, so there we go. Happen. So something that's... A little bit more, uh, it's futuristic sounding, but you can actually get it right now. It's another piece of tech that I've been playing with over the last month, and it's called the Kaya app. Now, this it's a great little app that uses your, your phone's camera and some clever sort of mimicked motion capture technology. So motion dots that sort of capture how your body moves. Um, and it essentially lets you do core exercises. So all those strength exercises that we as runners often sort of neglect because we might not know about the technique. Mm. You can position your phone and it will guide you to get into the right position to do the, the exercise perfectly. 
and hold it. And it will take you through step by step, five or six exercises in a set of drills for different types of core, strength, mobility workouts. So it takes away all of that stuff that you've got to learn and it shows you how you're doing the technique. And how does, how does it instruct you, Kieran? Let's see. It will, it will give you, you can see on the screen, the almost like a skeleton of dots and lines right. um, to help you get into the right form. And it's obviously showing you in the background of that. So these dots are overlaid over your body. And when you've got it right, it will just give you a little green and a thumbs up and say, hold that for 15 seconds. If you drop down, it will then give you a little alert to say you need to, to move back up into the right position. Very, very clever. Yeah, that is and clever. Yeah. Very early days for this, but for something that advanced on your phone is, is pretty staggering. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, I think a lot of these um, kind of core exercises or equipment-free exercises, they kind of live and die by good form, don't they? Yeah. So actually having something that really can help anyone do that sounds really useful. Well, I'm really lazy at doing them. So just because often I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do, but yeah. this is 15 minutes of guided workout and it's done. Very good. Yeah. I've got one more thing. And we talked about it earlier. You were sort of saying headphones. And this is really just an opportunity for me to come in. And as a 40 year old, (laughs) my right to grumble about something. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) So you've come to the right place. Bone conducting headphones. Oh, they're nonsense. And and rules about bone conducting headphones. So it's it's the UK athletics that dictate whether or not a race is allowed uh, to have normal headphones or you have to have bone conducting headphones in them based on how many road crossings are and if there are sections where there's traffic. Right? I'm looking at Rick now to see if he knows what a bone conducting headphone is. Oh, yeah, no, I do, yeah. I know, I know, I know, what they're, I know all about that. So magic music into your ears through the yeah. bones in your face, right? So, and um, these, they give you... So you can run open ears, so you can hear what's going on around you. But I've now run two races recently where that rule has been stipulated on the website. I turn up with, with bone conductors or not at all. And then I notice that there's loads of people wearing normal headphones. Right. And nothing ever happens. Well, I guess it's because, first of all, from a Martian point of view, if someone's got something near or in their ear, they're not going to spend their whole race checking. Is it in the ear or is it next to the ear? So there's that. I've been checking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Freelance it's, uh, Marshall. It's, but my, my major sort of bugbear with it is, and this is purely like from a personal point of view, but mm. first of all, the sound quality on most of them is really bad. Yeah. And that would annoy me more than anything else, just half hearing the music. Yeah, and also, I mean, I've said about this before, but I feel like people are really missing a trick when it comes to doing a race with music. I know it's hugely motivational and like maybe save some music for the last five k if you're really struggling or like because it does give you a bump. But man, like just let that let the race kind of wash over you a bit more. Take your headphones out. I think that's kind of a bigger deal. Do you think on those on those where it's a, where it's you're going to be on some open roads, just yeah. say no headphones at all. Hundred yeah. no percent. Yeah, I think. I think it's inconsiderate wearing headphones in busy races because actually you endanger um, yourself and you endanger other people because you don't know people are coming up um, looking to overtake you. I think it's um, I think it's quite selfish actually. It's it's also Strong. can be problematic. I did a race in the Pyrenees where at one section there was a left hand turn or you're going. There was the other race, the longer race. It was oh. difference between 100 kilometers and 170. Went straight. <laughs> I, I was listening to music. I was the happiest man, completely oblivious. Didn't hear the steward calling after me as I was about to go up a six-hour mountain <laughs> oh, no. in the wrong direction. So, yeah, there's there's a reason not to do it, right? I, I agree. I think for training, great. But on race day, you know, um, give the crowd and your other races the respect they deserve. Is that it? That's that's all I've got. This yeah, <laughs> now I can my, say it. <laughs> that's my, that's my Kieran, thank load. you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kieran. That's great. That's great.
So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. I'd like to say a big thanks to our guests, David and Nicole Miller and Kieran Alger, and to Number 8 Studios in Soho, where this was recorded. For more news, reviews, interviews and much, much more from the wider world of running, please head over to runnersworld.com slash UK. Please like and subscribe on iTunes. Feel free to leave a lovely comment. Thanks to Acast, our hosting partner. And thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 